You're listening to the best of the Visualize You show. To celebrate my first year of podcasting, I'm counting down the top 30 episodes to celebrate all of my amazing guests and just how much fun I've had over the last 12 months. At number 22, how to escape victimhood and transcend fear with the wonderful Terry Kozlowski. This episode does touch on child sex abuse and abandonment and although we don't go into any of the details I wanted to be upfront and just let you know in case there were any triggers for anyone. This episode if you stick with us is more about the transformation, is more about that transcending the fear and healing from those childhood traumas. A little bit about Terry. She is a proud Native American warrior from the Athabascan Tinglet tribe, Raven Clan. She journeyed through the pain of child sexual abuse and utter fear of life after her mother abandoned her at the age of 11 on the streets of Albuquerque. Rediscovering her true path in life, one of joy and love, Terry has learned to transcend the fear that the egoic mind often brings to the forefront of our lives. Terry is a successful soul and life coach whose mission it is to inspire others to master their own fears. Her newly released book, Raven Transcending Fear, is Terry's memoir of overcoming the sexual abuse, abandonment and discovering her authentic self in her truly amazing story. And I'll leave all of the links as to where you can get Terry's book in the show notes. Let's head over to the interview. Welcome to the Visualize You podcast. I'm your host, Beth Hewitt. I'm a spiritual performance coach, helping you go from unfulfilled to passionately living your purpose. You'll learn how to create a crystal clear vision for your life so that you can change direction with confidence and have a career or start a business that is more in alignment with your true soul's calling. Each week on the show, I'll talk about topics such as the art of visualization, scripting, manifesting, and the law of attraction. And I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already, so you can learn the practical skills that will help you do the same. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Visualize You show. I'm joined today by Terry Kozlowski. Hi Terry, thank you for being on the show. Hi Beth, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to share with our listeners your story. I have spent the weekend actually reading your book. Normally, I'm an audio book girl, so I normally listen to books, but I I really spent the time actually turning the pages of of your book this weekend uh, and getting into the book. So that was a new experience for me. I haven't done that for a while. I normally start the show by asking my guests a little bit about their career journey so where they started out to where they are now but as I was reading your story and I feel like we're a little bit kindred spirits in terms of the soul soulpreneur aspect in that I feel my career started when I was little when I was born almost like the experiences I had when I was little have led me to who I am today and I feel that's definitely true of yourself as well after reading your story. Start your career journey wherever you want to start it, but I'd welcome you to share wherever feels right for you. Okay, my career journey really is just a bunch of stuff that Mm -hmm. I allowed the egoic mind to pull me into to keep everybody in my life happy. Not Terry wasn't happy in it. So I didn't actually 
begin working until I was out of high school and in college. And the first Christmas, I got a job at KB Toys, which is a toy store here in the U.S. that I think is now out of business. (laughs) And the reason I got the job is because I was told I was being lazy. And part of that laziness was the fact that I had gone through a massive trauma when I was 11. And I pretty much stayed to myself. So I had been sexually abused as a child and then physically abandoned on the streets of uh, a large city in New Mexico at the age of 11. And my mother had done all this damage to me and I had spent then the next five years of my life in therapy trying to figure out what happened and try to incorporate all of that into my mindset, which wasn't going to be damaging because I knew Mm -hmm. what occurred was bad. I knew what occurred would have lasting effects. But at the same time at 11, you don't know how to process any of that. It's not meant for an adult to process, Mm -hmm. let alone a child. So I pretty much stayed to myself. And because of that, I didn't get a job until I was in college. I was taking 18 credit hours. And most people only are allowed to take 12 credit hours in college. And I took 18 plus I was working at KB Toys. After that Christmas, I moved to Sears and Roebuck, which also isn't doing well anymore. (laughs) Moved to Sears and Roebuck and I was working 35 hours a week and taking 18 credit hours. And I did that for three years straight. And in three years, I graduated college. So laziness became something that was not synonymous with what I did with my time Mm -hmm. because of that one comment one person made to me about me not having a job. That's really interesting and as I was reading your book there were times when you were describing your career and how busy you were as an individual as well the the complete opposite of being lazy so was that busyness later on in your career was that part of a coping mechanism as well absolutely yeah one of the things that happened when you are trying to deal with trauma is that your egoic mind doesn't want you to your ego wants to allow you to be okay and to be okay means that you are living in the future and as well as being busy. When you are busy, you can't get quiet. You can't go in inside yourself and figure out what is going on. Feel the feelings you're supposed to feel and then release them because you're too busy. And so for me, staying busy was very much synonymous with not dealing with my issues. Mm -hmm. And I stayed busy as a stay-at-home mom because after I had left college, I got a job as a chiropractic assistant. And from there, I got pregnant. And it wasn't a planned pregnancy. I was taking the pill. So my son was a little bit of a surprise. And I also quit that job. It was a full-time job and stayed home to raise him. So I was home for 14 years of his life. And in that time period, although I didn't have a job per se that paid me money, I volunteered. Yeah. And when you volunteer, you find out that there's all kinds of things that can take up your time. So I became heavily involved in Cub Scouts and then Boy Scouts. And f- during all of that time, one thing stay-at-home mothers don't realize is when you do those volunteer jobs, you're still building your skill set. And I built a lot of skill sets through the volunteer organizations that I was involved in. But I stayed busy. And when I say I stayed busy, 
my son would go off to school and I would start my day by doing all the things I needed to do for the little Cub Scout pack. But I also had my own Cub Scout den. Then I became the Cub Scout day camp director for all of Southern Indiana. So when all is said and done, I kept taking on roles Mm -hmm. so that I would not deal with any of the issues that I had. And it's a coping mechanism. We all do it at some level. And although I never consider myself a workaholic, looking back, that's exactly what it was. I was working so that I could avoid dealing with the problems. And that's what any aholics are, whether it's through work or alcohol or drugs, any of that food, any of that is about not dealing with your issues. And so today, now that you've got a more focused, intentional path that you're on, do you still find yourself working busy or do you feel like that's you've let that go with the work that you've been able to do? I believe I've let that go because yeah. what happens now is I start my day, the first hour is Terry time and I meditate, I journal, I say affirmations, I have my quiet time. Mm-hmm. And in that quiet time, one of the things that I do is I say some mantras and one of my mantras is that I am a master of time. I'm in a constant flow state. And everything that I accomplished today is all I'm supposed to accomplish. So at the end of the day, if I didn't get my to-do list done, it wasn't meant to be. And I'm okay with that. I love that because I'm always busy. I've never called myself a workaholic, but I think on one le- some level, I, I probably am. So now I was thinking, what is it that I'm avoiding? Is there something there? Also, I love what you said about master of time. I think that's, I love affirmations myself and doing those and having mantras. So that's definitely something that I will take on board because I feel like I could be doing less, (laughs) certainly. Part of that is if you are passionate about what you're doing, and Mm -hmm. I just wrote an article on this and it'll be um, coming up in a future podcast. But one of the things about understanding your passion and your skill set is when your skill set and your passion collide, mm-hmm. that is your soul's work. That is yeah. your purpose for being here. And when you are doing what your soul desires, it's not work. It's well, joyful. It, yeah, it feels it's, joyful. So maybe I'm just like totally my flow and that I found my kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of people, I still work in corporate, in the corporate world. I work yeah. three days a week. Yeah. 30 hours. I'm there for 10 hours each day. So I'm spending, I'm still doing that. But the other four days that I'm home, I'm doing my passion work mm-hmm. and I'm, I don't feel that I'm working. It's the, do I have a to-do list? Yes. Because for me to be able to write a book and do a podcast and write a blog every week, there's work to be done, but I enjoy it. It, it flows from me. And because of that, I don't feel tired about it. I don't feel frustrated. All those negative things that we feel about our jobs doesn't occur when I'm doing my passion work. And if that's not happening, if you're passionate about what you're doing, then continue in the flow because the universe will tell you, Terry, you need to rest. Yeah. And there, there are times where I just know, okay, I'm done. I need to go and rest for a while. That's so true. I think I jumped from career and job to job because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. So now it's okay for me to to do that full steam ahead. So normally I ask, can you explain to our listeners when you knew 
that change needed to happen for you, that pivot that happened within your career. But I suppose the pivot that we're talking about here is the work that you maybe did on yourself to to put you on this path and to go from this victimhood to survivor mentality. That occurred when I was in college. I had a friend tell me that I enjoyed being a victim Mm. and I got very angry because who is he to tell me anything about my victimhood? And, but something struck me about what he said. And I sat with it for a while and I realized, okay, what am I getting out of staying a victim? And the thing I was getting out of it was people are leaving me alone. When you have a trauma and people know about your trauma, they are very cautious with you. They don't want to cause you to trigger. They want to make sure you're okay. So they leave you alone. And I was okay with being left alone because that's what I wanted. Yeah. But there's a better way to let people know that I want to be left alone. And staying in victimhood also meant that everything that happened to me, I could blame on the trauma. And I was giving away my power by doing that. Mm -hmm. So when I made the switch from, okay, now I'm a survivor. And what does that mean for me? Being a survivor means two things. Number one, I can't blame anymore on my trauma of the choices I make today. Whatever choices I make had nothing to do with my mother. Whatever choices I make had nothing to do with the trauma. The choices I made today, I make of my own free will. Therefore, if I mess up, it's my fault. I can't blame others. I can't blame the past. And making that shift also empowered me to realize I had an innate power to choose how my life was going to go. And most people don't realize that the amount of power we innately have just by the choices we make. Yeah. I try to look at life that way of when challenges or traumas or things happen, that there's a reason for that happening and how can we see this in a from a positive point of view. But it is hard for some people to to relinquish that. I suppose there's some there's like a blanket, isn't there, in being able to act the victim. There's some power in that a little bit, but the true power comes from relinquishing that. Well, part of that is that we, the egoic mind screams Uh at us. And what we don't realize, the, the ego has a purpose and we have to accept its purpose. The ego's purpose is to tell us, hey, this could be dangerous. It used to be, hey, there was a bear in in the forest. You need to pay attention. But now in today's society, we don't have that type of thing, but the ego still needs to do its job. So what the ego was doing, for example, with me was the three men that raped me when I was 11 were Hispanic men. Mm -hmm. So every time I saw Hispanic people, especially Hispanic men, my ego would say, hey, there's Hispanic men there. Be afraid. We need to go in a different direction. And Over time, I started working with Hispanic men and found out they're very nice people. And I've had more positive experience than negative experiences with Hispanic men. So even though today, if I see a group of Hispanic men walking down the street, my ego will say, hey, and I have to remind my ego, yes, Mm -hmm. thank you for the reminder, but I've had more positive experiences than negative experience, I can dismiss this fear that you have. And as soon as you do that, you will calm down and you won't have that angst in your system anymore. So when we accept the egoic mind as doing what it's supposed to do, we can dismiss it. We Mm -hmm. can have rational conversations with it and dismiss those things. 
But in order to do that, we have to number one, be aware of it. And number two, the only way to really become aware of it is you have to get quiet. You have to have that alone time. You have to go within and connect with spirit. You have to be able to connect with your soul and hear its whispers Mm -hmm. because it whispers. It doesn't jump up and down the way the ego does. It's not loud and obnoxious. It's quiet. It's unassuming. And you have to make a general commitment each day to connect with that part of you. And when you do, you will find that most of your day will go much easier than had you not spent Mm -hmm. that five minutes, 10 minutes each morning. So that initial pivot point where it set you on that path of changing that view, what happened next? It's a lot of work, I suppose. It doesn't happen overnight, that transformation. So what happened in those transitioning years? Part of what happened is in this book, I talk about a thorny blanket. Mm-hmm. And when we have traumas of any kind, we wrap ourselves in a little cocoon and try to stay safe. But what we don't realize is that, especially for childhood trauma, that there are self-defense mechanisms that we took on after the trauma that are now harming us. And a lot of times, just in general, it's those things that we must unlearn that we were taught. So In the book, I talk about the fact that I was myself. I was authentically me for the first 10 years of my life. The next 10 years of my life, I was domesticated. I was traumatized. And then I had peer pressure to conform to be what society wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. Be a good girl. Be quiet. Don't be seen. Don't be obnoxious. Be quiet. Be feminine. All those things that we are told as teenage girls to be. Then I spend the next 20 years of my life trying to figure out why I was miserable. What was the issue? Mm -hmm. Why was I still broken? And then the next 10 years of my life was like, oh, that's because I hid away my authentic self. I was wearing masks and putting armor on. And when I decided to take off the thorny blanket, what ended up happening is I took it off in stages. I took a little bit off. And what happens is those defense mechanisms are little thorns that stick in us. And when we take those off, we have to heal. Mm-hmm. And healing is painful because when you heal a cut on your finger, it tingles as it's healing. It scabs over and then the scab falls off. So there's sensation and feeling that occurs. And we don't realize that same kind of thing occurs when we're doing any type of emotional um, and mental healing. So we take the thorny blanket off, we have oozes and festering and the pain starts bothering us and it's unfamiliar pain. So we put the thorny blanket back on because we know what that pain feels like. We're okay with that pain. After a while, the thorny blanket just got too heavy and I knew it was hindering any growth I was supposed to be having. So I ripped it off like a bandaid. And in doing so, there was a lot of festering and oozing and drama that ended up coming out of that because I didn't know what all these emotions were. When you can't name what you're feeling, it becomes very difficult to try to move through those feelings. I went through that period of time of unnerving and when things started healing and the main thing that had to heal was I had to be able to forgive my mother. I had to be able to forgive all the things that she had done to cause the trauma, but also that in her entire lifetime and and mine, we were not ever able to be and have that mother-daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. She was never the mother I needed to have. And I had to let go of the fact that she could never be that for me. 
And that's very difficult to do because we all want reconciliation. We all want to think that we have the happy ending. And I struggled with the question, why did this happen? Why could she never choose me over the drugs and alcohol? And I never got the answer. And that's part of the thing that the ego uses to hold us in trauma is the why. Because the reality is, even if she could come up with an answer, it never would have justified what had happened. And that's what, in reality, what it comes down to. Is there any justification for a mother allowing her child to be sexually molested and then abandoned on the streets? Mm -hmm. Is there any justification for it? And there isn't. And because there isn't, trying to search for a why is the ego keeping me stuck in the past. It's keeping me in a depressive state. And that's what depression is. When you are stuck in the past, and fearful of the past. Anxiety is the opposite. Anxiety is fear of the future and living in the future and scared of being in the, of what's gonna happen in the future. So the only way for you not to be fearful is to be in the present moment. Mm -hmm. In the present moment, everything is okay. In the present moment, I know that I'm safe. In the present moment, I know I'm having a, a lovely conversation with Beth and everything is fabulous in the world. So being present is how we overcome the anxiety, how we overcome the depression, and how we become present and content. Hi listener, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I thought we'd just pause a moment to let you know that there is so much waiting for you at my website, bethhewitt.com, where you can access free downloads, access the Visualize You free Facebook community where I go live every single week. Plus, you can learn about the power of scripting, access the Visualization Vault, and find out more about my membership, Visualize and Thrive. So go check it out and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Head to bethhewitt.com and I can't wait to connect with you real soon. Now let's get on with the show. And so for anybody who is struggling to stay in the present, does this come back to your Terry time in the morning? Are those the kind of things that you would say to start to be more present on a daily basis? One of the things that people have a harder time with, once they get journaling or Mm -hmm. meditating or doing mantras, all of that is something that we put into practice to keep us focused. But getting to that place can be difficult. Yeah. And I spent almost four years trying to meditate and was very frustrated with myself. I'm like, why can't I do this? I'm just supposed to sit here and be. (laughs) But the reality was my mind, my egoic mind just kept running through tapes and messages and to-do lists. And it took me, you know, I kept trying. I didn't give up, but it took me going to yoga Six months into yoga, I realized that during Shavasana, which is corpse pose at the end of any type of yoga, my mind stopped. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is meditation. This is what it's supposed to be. When there's nothing in your mind, you're just being. And now I can do it. Anytime, anywhere, I can get myself to that place. But it's when you don't know what it is, it's hard to get there. And I think part of it was you do 45 minutes of yoga or whatever, you're tired. And that time where you're resting, and because I am not one to ever take naps during the day, I'm not going to be the one to fall asleep in Shavasana. I'm (laughs) going to be the one that's thinking of the to-do list that she's supposed to be doing on her way home. So when I realized that what was happening, 
it was very beneficial. The other thing is there is a physical reaction our body has when we breathe. So if you take a deep breath in, hold and release to the count of five, you do that three times, your autotomic nervous system actually takes effect and you physically calm down naturally. It's all mm-hmm. natural and you can do it anytime. That's why you talk about people taking pause and take a deep breath before you speak because you're calming yourself. Yeah. And when you calm yourself, you become clear. And you also give your soul a chance to whisper to you the next best thing. I'm glad what you said about meditation, because I think some people do struggle with finding what what works. I first experienced meditation when I was about 10, when I I stole my mum's meditation tapes and I would listen to it on my little tape deck. And I experienced like what I call the gap. So that bit between your thoughts where you don't actually know you're there till you've come back out the other side and go, oh, where was I? And so I, I was chasing that feeling like all growing up because I couldn't get get back there and so it took me on a journey to find out what works best for me to get back to that place so I was fortunate that I experienced it when I was a child but at the same time I didn't really understand kind of the the mechanics of how that was all working so I think yeah I think it's finding what works for you and if it's yoga great if it's in the morning if it's in the evening if it's in the middle of the day then I think that's when it will be and I think it's just like you say just keep trying and and finding out what works for you. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do now and actually how going through this transformation at what point did you realize actually there's a business in here and actually I want to be helping people to get through their own traumas and experiences? Well, interestingly enough, after I was the stay-at-home mom for 14 years, 9-11 occurred Mm -hmm. and my husband lost his job. So I ended up having to find work. (laughs) And going back into the workforce after not being there was a little difficult. So I got hired at a medical device company as a floater. And I have been there now for 15 years. And I started as a floater. I'm currently vice president of operations. Wow. (laughs) So all the skills that I had previously, Mm -hmm. I've been able to hone and use in a business environment. And I had always been asked if I was ever going to write my story. And it was always no, not just a little no, big no, I was not doing it. And in 2018, I got pregnant with a book. And in nine months, I wrote the book. I actually got the title. And I wrote a poem and I'm like, okay, this is the book. And I started writing nine months. I had the first draft done. I went through some rounds of edits. And then in October of last year, I signed a traditional book contract and the book was released uh, February 12th. And Raven Transcending Fear is my story of going through my trauma and transcending the fear and becoming authentically me. Mm -hmm. And through the process of writing the book, I'm one of those people that I have to know things. I have to understand what I'm getting myself into. So in order to write a book, I needed to understand what the publishing world was like. And in doing so, I discovered that I had to have what was called a writer's platform, which meant that I needed to have a website and post on blog every week. And so I started doing that. And when I started taking the course on how to do a website, seven days later, I had a website up and running. And since January 1st of 2019, I've been blogging every week. And 
so I'm doing all of that while I'm writing the book. I am realizing that this is where I light up. Mm-hmm. I thrive in doing this and this is what I need to be. So I started looking at how I could monetize, how I could transition out of my nine to five into doing the soul coaching full time. So that's the process I'm in. I'm not totally there yet because I still do the corporate, but I am in the process of transitioning out. And then in August of last year, I started Soul Solutions podcast, which is how Beth and I met in the podcasting course. And through that, I increased the platform and made the platform larger. And then I've started a YouTube channel. So all of this is just, the universe opens up. When you are open to really pursuing your passion and the place of service to others, the universe opens up all kinds of capabilities, Mm -hmm. all kinds of possibilities, because the universe is limitless. And the only limits we have is what we place on ourselves. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you've got a blog and a podcast and a YouTube channel. I love blogging and I used to blog all the time. And I think I need to go back to doing that because I love to write, but I don't know how you fit in the YouTube in as well. (laughs) Amazing. Really and truly, I write one piece of content, Uh just one. I write a blog post. That blog post becomes a script for the podcast, which I also video for the YouTube channel. And then I take that and create quotes out of it, audiograms out of it. So I end up, I think I've, I wrote it all out that I ended up with like almost 70 pieces of content from writing one. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Now you can repurpose that. That's great. So in terms of some of the skills and experiences then, because as we're talking about, I suppose, what you do today that you've amassed over this journey and you've talked about different when you were doing your volunteering and the work that you do now. I like to call them superpowers because I think we don't celebrate ourselves enough. But what would you say are your main superpowers? My main superpower is being able to give an alternate perspective to Mm. people about their stories. So being able to say, somebody tell me their story and and they show me the negative aspect to it, I can show them the positive aspect to it. And I can do it very easily. So being able to show a different perspective to something that you've always thought as a negative. For example, my family knows that I'm a control freak. I am, everything is in its place. Everything has at home. And when it's not in its place, it upsets me. But when I got hired on at my company, all they saw was I was extremely well organized and I could find things that they lost. So even though my family thinks that it's a negative, my workplace thinks it's a positive. So being able to see that those character flaws that we think we have are actually can be really good in a different mm-hmm. setting. And it's being able to see how also those things that are good in a corporate setting, for example, I learned a lot of legalese and I can write a contract, but talking to my husband, he doesn't want me to use 8,000 words to say something that only needs <laughs> three sentences. Yeah. But I can do that. Uh-huh. So you have to learn where to use those different skill sets properly. I think that's so true. First of all, being able to reframe a negative experience for someone to a positive that's that's an amazing superpower 
to have but I think you're right about we have these skills and experiences and just because they don't fit into one corner of our life doesn't mean that we can't you use it somewhere else if especially if we're really passionate and we're really good at it mm-hmm. it seems a shame to to hide those from the world if you had to identify one main life lesson which may be hard I think choosing one life lesson is, is sometimes hard but you've learned during your highest and, and your lowest times of your career and, and your business journey today what would you say that was and, and why really learning how to reframe the self-talk because the ego is so loud and obnoxious learning how to take what the ego says and reframe it and come up with different words for our inner self-talk is very vital for us to be able not only to overcome any traumas but also to overcome any missteps i don't talk about failures i don't talk about falling flat on our face i talk about missteps because ultimately if we take a misstep All that means is that we have a lesson that we needed to learn. There wasn't any mistake. There wasn't any fault. It was just that we had a lesson we needed to learn. So in our missteps, we learn a lesson and then we continue forward because even a misstep is still moving us forward. We're not going backwards. The only way we go backwards is if we consciously choose to stay and live in the past. And then you're depressed anyway, and you're not going to be moving forward. Do you believe that these missteps or similar missteps will continue to present themselves if we don't choose to take that lesson absolutely yeah absolutely we are meant to we're meant to learn certain lessons and if we don't learn them easily we will learn them harder so that little pebble that you tripped over becomes a bigger stone then becomes a boulder, and then becomes the mountain so we can learn lessons through joy or we can learn lessons through pain Most of us, for some reason, choose to learn lessons through pain. And in doing so, we miss out on the opportunity to learn things quicker. Yeah. So we need, if we look at everything that is occurring, okay, what can I learn from this? And we take some little lesson from it. The likelihood is that we don't have to learn a bigger lesson, a harder lesson later. When I was setting up this podcast, uh, you remember we had to do like our 10 commandments it, it was called wasn't it like the, the vision of values that we would have for our show and one of them was at, for me was not to have this victim mentality not the, the stories that I share would not focus on that but they would focus on learning those lessons and not sticking in, in that that victim mentality for too long anyway so I'm interested to ask you this question what has been that thing that's been maybe calling you and do you feel like since you were a child there's been some kind of golden thread throughout your life that has been leading you to this place right now the raven in the title raven transcending fear is really about the fact that my native american tribe um, is athabascan tinglet raven clan the clan is the immediate um, family so the raven in tinglet is the bringer of light and what helps humanity learn to be one with the earth so In my research in high school about the raven, I learned an awful lot about Norse mythology Mm -hmm. and how in Greek mythology, it's also about being able to be the spirit. The raven is between the spirit world and the earth and it's the bridge. But the other aspect to it in the Bible, the raven is so resourceful that when Noah actually releases the raven first, not the dove and releases the raven and the raven never comes back because the raven is so resourceful. It's about bounty. In the Bible, the raven is a symbolism of abundance. 
So mm -hmm. in doing all this research, the raven ended up becoming very symbolic to me in transformation. And in realizing that from the time I was born, I was part of this magical raven clan and everybody can be a part of the magical raven clan because we all have that story. We all have that hero's journey that we're supposed to be on. Yeah. And I, I know that my job is to help people transcend their fear and take their own personal spiritual journey. Wow. And I think you said in your book about the raven sometimes symbolizing this almost like the dark, all the, the death or the darkness. And people do have that that connotation with it for, for some reason. But I think it's a really beautiful symbolic uh, symbol of, of the journey that you've been on. And even thinking about what's been calling you in this lifetime, you can see how that transcends into the, the Native American tribes prior to mm -hmm. you being here as well. So um, moving back to today, then as entrepreneurs, we all have a platform of choice, uh, a particular strategy that is helping to share who we are with the world. You've mentioned you've got three different platforms, I suppose, right now with your, your blogging, podcasting and YouTube. But what's working for you right now in terms of getting your message and story out there? I would really say it's my blog, because for me, writing is where I thrive. That is one of my superpowers is I can tell a story and I can bring it together so that it is concise and that when you're done reading, you have usable things that you can put into practice. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I think that the blog for me is the most important channel for me to use. The others are ancillary and feed off of that. Yeah. And I am seeing growth in um, all the areas and, and all, even the social media platforms, I'm seeing growth in all of them, but I think it's all based on the fact that I write that one piece of content. Yeah. I think you've reminded me that I should maybe go back to blogging and I think I've put everything into podcasting, but actually my superpower is, is also in writing. And I think I could use something similar to you in terms of creating scripts and doing that. So that's a reminder to me as well as our listeners today. So this show is obviously called Visualize You. What do you visualize for yourself uh, in the future? I see myself that leaving corporate sooner than I think. And I see myself really honing in on providing people other ways to transcend their own fears through courses, online courses, webinars. And I think that everybody has their own trauma story. Everybody has their own fear set. Everybody has their own limiting beliefs and being able to find a way to transcend them is part of the journey that we are all here on. And I think everybody can do it. And I certainly a lot of people thought, read my story and are amazed that I was able to do it. But if I can do it, so can you. I love that. And people certainly can do that. I loved how just from the beginning of your story, you talked about being this independent little girl and you were off into the world. And I thought that was a really great intro to the, to the book and everything. So thank you for sharing your story today. Where can people find out more about you and where can they find the book? You can find me at terryslosky.com. The book can be found on Amazon, or you can go to raventranscendingfear.com, and there's a link there. And my podcast is soulsolutionspodcast.com, and it's everywhere. Fabulous. I shall put all the links in today's show notes. So thank you very much for joining us today, Terry. Thank you very much, Beth. I had a good time. 
Okay, so that's all for today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any aha moments, tag me in your social media stories and please, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. It'll really help me out. Until next time, remember to visualize you.